many Yankee games did you go to get to this year during the the championship? I, I I only went to uh, I only went to a couple a uh, couple of games this year. Um, hmm. Yeah, I uh, I I got one rained out, which was a oh, bummer. Geez. And in typical Yankee fashion, you know, they made everybody go into the stadium, buy a couple <laughs> of concessions, and then they called the game. Of course. Um, so yeah, I was, was supposed to go to a Mets Yankees game, and that got uh, that got rained out. And uh, and then I went to uh, I went to actually uh, a couple more Mets games this year than Yankee games. Huh. I just couldn't get the scheduling down on on getting the Yankee games this year. Mm-hmm. Well, it was just like everything. Every time I tried, I couldn't get yeah. out there. I'm sorry. Every time I tried, it was just like, oh, I, somebody has tickets, and then I had a show, or like I could, I just couldn't make it work. Yeah, it uh, it honestly wouldn't surprise me if the Yankees come up with a policy in the next year or two that makes people pay to leave during a rain delay. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know, just locked in with like guards out front or something. <laughs> uh, it, and I gotta say, man, it's been like a lot of years now since we've had the new stadium, and it's a bummer. Mm-hmm. It's such a bummer. The, the the thing that best sums up the new Yankee Stadium to me, uh, and I I got it on like the first game I went to back in I think 2009 when they opened. Yeah, that uh, you were only allowed to have as much fun as you have paid to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and the the way that it, it sums up perfectly to me is I remember like walking around trying to get a vibe of the new ballpark. Had never been there beforehand, and I wanted to you know go down and take pictures by field level, which I always do when I walk into a new baseball park and just right. get a sense of what the different angles look like. And the Yankees literally have an usher at the top of every single section that if and they check your tickets, and if you don't have tickets, not even take pictures. They will they'll say, Nah, you're not allowed. That they do not want any working class mingling with the people, the high rollers who have paid $1,600 for a pop to, to go see the Yankees and the Tampa Bay Rays in mid-April and it spend all the game inside at the club anyway. Uh, it, makes it, so, it makes it hard to, to be a Yankee fan, to be honest with you. Like, like the stadium stinks, their policies <laughs> stink. Um, and also, like, watching the games. I watch the games on TV, and there's, it's like there's nobody sitting in the stadium. Like, yeah. where is everybody? They're playing, like, the Red Sox in the middle of a pennant race, and nobody cares. It's, yeah, it and it's, I mean, the Yankees have always made the decision to kind of cater to the money crowd at baseball above right. the people who pay regular ticket prices. Like, I think it even goes back to, like, you want to go back to like the, the 1940s. They were yeah. the first ballpark to have a stadium club, which yeah. seems like, you know, a very Yankee tradition uh, that, you know, the rest of baseball picks up on. And it, at some point, they made the decision that they were okay with nothing but empty seats behind the plate, which is what you see during the entire game because most of right. the shots are over the pitcher's shoulder because those people are the ones that are paying the club prices and right, right. make that the priority above you know the look of actually having people there and enjoying your baseball game. Yeah, no, for sure. You're and 100% right. Yeah, at this point, it's it's not just them either. It's it's all around baseball. It, everybody is trying to put in those clubs right behind the plates. And I know the Cubs over here have got the home plate club. They've had that for about three or four years at this point. And they've also moved clubs into like the the seats in the first couple sections of the upper deck, and then like down either side of first and third base lines also have their own clubs. So oh, yeah, I mean, really? the, all the teams in baseball are aspiring to be the Yankees because they know that's where the real sick money is. Yeah, and it, I know. Look, I've I was lucky enough to sit like two rows behind home plate in one of those seats a couple of years ago, 
Um, I think maybe the year before Jeter retired or the year Jeter retired. I can't remember. Um, and like close enough, like where I was like on TV, like you could nice. see me sitting behind there. And I mean, that area behind there, I mean, it's insane. It's, there's no reason to go sit in your seat. It is a full bar restaurant, like high end. Everybody just wants to sit there, gorge themselves. And like, I get it to a degree. <laughs> like, it's amazing. And yeah. if you're a rich person and this is just la-di-da, whatever, your whole day, your whole life, which is you kind of get used to just not going to a Yankee game and just sitting there <laughs> eating and drinking. Yeah. Come to the New York Yankees. Don't watch the game and get fat, rich people. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's right. what it is. It's it's nuts back there. Turning every single fan into late career Babe Ruth, which, I mean, that's a nod to the greatest Yankee of all time. So you right. got to credit. Oh, man. But it's really, it's like a scene from Wally back there. <laughs> nuts. Pixar presents post-apocalyptic baseball. Yeah. Just is, like zooming around. People just like have no interest in baseball. Uh-huh. At, at some point, they're going to figure out a way to stock their team with nothing but 300 pound guys and have like the Wally people transporter, just move them to first after they take. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Yeah. One guy's just going to be like a vending machine that shoots at caviar or something. <laughs> so this is the away. Or not, not the effect. That's I'm starting my friend, Kevin and Adams podcast for some reason. <laughs> Three strikes. You're out podcast. Uh, the part of the out sports podcast network. Uh, thank you for joining us. This is episode number seven. The Mickey Mantle episode, appropriately Ooh, the, enough. The Mantle episode. Yes. I'm going to spit at some kids. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then go off and get drunk and pick a fight in the Copa Cabana. You got it. Reopen the Copa just to pick a fight in it. That's, yeah. That, that's the kind true of money Mickey I aspire right to. There. Yeah. Um, speaking, the, the voice you are hearing on the other end is one of my best Yankee fan friends. And I figured what better choice for the mantle episode than Chris Calagero, one of my comedy pals from back in the New York city days when I lived out there. Uh, Chris is, I think we can officially call you a Twitter sensation at this point uh, now. Uh, a minor, a minor sensation. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Thank you. Putting out new vids practically every day at this point, right? I'm putting out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the Cal. handle at Real Chris Cal, go there every day for videos such as today's. And I wrote down the, the title because I had to write this essay down. Old timer movie cop talking so much about his retirement, you know he getting killed in the next scene. <laughs> yeah, it is one minute of joy every Thank day. Thank you very much. Yeah, and uh, has also won the the coveted Gary Gullman title of the Gulls comic to watch in twenty nineteen. Yeah. 2020. Very so, flattering. Uh, he made up an award just for me. <laughs> At uh, you know, it, for, in terms of comedy, you can't really do better than Gary Goldman going out of his way to say, "Yeah, here's here is something I'm creating just for you to to promote your stuff." So no, I I, awesome. I love him and I appreciate it. Thank you yes. for the flattery. Yeah, and uh, thank you for joining me. This is uh, the first time I've had a Yankee fan on the show. That uh, I'm seven episodes into a podcast and really have yet to talk about the Yankees, which means that. ESPN is never going to hire me for one thing, which right. You I might as well be know. talking about hockey. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, give me enough time, and honestly, it, uh, it, uh, the Hawks are giving me enough to bitch about at this point. <laughs> uh, so to, to welcome you, I, I was trying to think what is the most appropriate way to welcome you to the podcast, and really the only thing that I can think of is your own John Sterling catchphrase. I, and I I've come up with two. 
Yeah, yeah, I am if nothing if not predictable, which is why my comedy career is on fire. I respect it. <laughs> so tell me which of these uh, you think is the more accurate uh, John Sterling. Chris Calagero gave that ball a scaro. Or number two, oh ho, Chris Calagero, manja, manja. Oh, I think I think number two actually. Yeah, I think, I think you'd that... have to go. You'd have to go ethnic if it wasn't if it wasn't a straight wordplay friendly name. Yeah, anytime Sterling can work in a four language or a show tune, man, he will take that in a heartbeat. He will do like, that. Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, as you say, he he goes ethnic as if his broadcasts are really nothing but 1930s vaudeville routines. So, I, I mean, it feels like he's been calling the game since the 30s at this point. Just about, um, yeah. He's but, in uh, games, right? Yeah, he's he used to call ABA games, which is pretty hmm. cool. Um, or, but I think uh, the all-time worst is the Mark Teixeira with a text message. Uh, yeah, that was embarrassed. That was like. Your dad's still saying bling or something. It was like, <laughs> it was brutal. Every every Sterling catchphrase is pretty much a dad joke at this point. That, oh, yeah, man. the Sterling one is bad. The, the one of most recent vintage is the It's Glaber Day. That oh, my just, God. Ugh, yeah. Like, cringe so hard. Like, I feel it in my spine. Yeah, I know. It's what I'm saying. It's like your dad dropping you off at a party and, like, getting, a, getting like, one off. And you're like, please just leave. <laughs> so we have... Uh, Yankees games in person, don't watch the game, make you fat. Yankees games on the radio, please just leave. I mean, add on TV, not much better. Yeah, yeah. Is Michael Kay respected at all by Yankee fans? He's, he's also been there forever, right? Yeah, Kay's, I think Kay is like, he's, he's started to look worse as the Mets broadcast team has like taken off in popularity and quality, honestly. Yeah. Like the Mets broadcast is, those guys are so good, Gary and Keith. They're like... They're like amazing. They make the game so much more fun, and and you can kind of feel Michael Kay and whoever he has with him, like Paul O'Neill or Cohn, are still like, well, this is the Yankees, so we have to be, you know, <laughs> hip top shape, military BS nonsense, mm-hmm. whatever they they used to instill fear into the players uh, having individuality <laughs> over there. But yeah, no, th- I think he's like middle ground. Like Sterling and Susan Waldman are like pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So everything else in comparison, is fine. Yeah. I, I do like what Susan Waldman stands for in terms of being the first female uh, full-time broadcaster yeah. on the Major League team that I'm aware of. And she's got some good color chops. Uh, but it to me, yeah, the whole radio broadcast still gets overwhelmed by that she's always playing second fiddle and John Sterling just doing shtick for three yeah. and a half hours a night. And the, and the homerism is just brutal. Like, yeah. I think I it was think always... That's got to be an order from on high, right? Yeah, I would imagine. But, like, it was hard for her to overcome when she freaked out about Clemens coming back. Yeah. That was a bad Waldman moment. Yeah. It's, uh, with, with her heavy, is it a Connecticut or a Massachusetts accent she's got? That, so anytime she gets excited, that, that, that yeah, it comes out. out. And, it, it, yeah, that was the famous, Roger Clemens is in George's box moment. Yeah, it was and, bad. Like, that bad. was getting played, like, every 20 minutes in Chicago. The day yeah. after it happened, to give you a it sense embarrassing. of that. Uh, and I, I got to think, I mean, c- comparing them to the Mets broadcast booth I, again, uh, the Mets obviously are guys that are, you know, Met heroes and uh, Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez. But yeah. they're better known for calling it 
down the middle and being honest than any Yankee broadcaster is. And I wonder if that's kind of a direction of both teams that the Mets say, yeah, you just be you and do what comes naturally and comes best to you on the broadcast. And the Yankees, you always have to pay fealty to the, the Mad Steinbrenners first and foremost. Yeah. And it prevents. Well, I, I, think, I, I think that's very true. Like the Yankees got overwhelmed by the, by the Steinbrennerism that was going on. Um, and, you know, even, you know, their old owners back in the 60s and the 50s and 60s were, were very much like, you know, racist and catering to the higher end people uh, in, in New York that they mm-hmm. wanted to care about the, the slobs so much. <laughs> but the Mets, I think it's kind of like they know where they are. They're the second place team in the city. And I think Garen Keith probably just or, uh, uh, Ron and Keith uh, started just doing what they were doing and it was catching fire. And I think that they, for once, Mets ownership paid attention to what was going on in the context of their team and realized that they had like, they were, they had like a kind of a hit with these guys. Like people love them. They're like a door. They're beloved. It's weird, isn't it? That the Mets as an organization do so many of the little things right that surround their baseball team between having the great broadcasters on SNY and then the much better of the two ballparks in New York Ah, city field. Great. Yeah, the, the food at City Field is so much better. But yep. when it comes down to the most important thing about a baseball team, the actual play on the field, the Yankees destroy them year after year. I know, I know. And I'm sure that's the thing that the Yankees use to as like a cudgel against the Mets to be like, yeah, you can have all the fireworks or whatever, but, you know, we have a winning product. Right. Uh, and when it comes down to it, you can't argue that. I mean, No, you can't argue it. But when, when the teams are even in doubt, then the Mets edge ahead because – like yeah. I said, going to City Field is actually fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you don't. <laughs> again, another another Yankee Stadium thing that that sticks out sticks out of my mind is that uh, th- again, defining the park on that first level, which is where uh, even beyond the club seats, where people pay you know a couple hundred bucks a pop at any any seat in that first level. Yeah, that's where you know they have all the different kinds of food from different New York restaurants. Oh yeah. If you sit, if you sit in the upper deck, yeah, you're lucky if they don't spit in your food. I mean, (laughs) they are, there is nothing up there. I remember the first time I went there, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get like a, like whatever those garlic fries and like chicken tenders. And they, they have, they have nothing. Hope you like hot dogs. Yeah. Yeah, Seriously. They're leftover from last night. Probably like (laughs) it's crazy how they just don't cater to everybody in the stadium. Yeah. Uh, because they know that they're the Yankees, and as the most popular team in New York City and in baseball, they can get away with it. And yeah, that's yeah. that's the kind of thing that's you know they they still draw even with the people that show up late and leave early. They still draw over three million a year. So yeah, by their definition, doing something right. I mean that's the that's the way, man. The only way to tell like and again, the Yankees aren't in this position because they're winning. Like, even if they haven't won a World Series in, oh, my God, 10 years. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, but, like, like a, a guy like the Jets, and they're so bad. And, like, mm-hmm. the only way that anybody will ever listen to the fans is if they just stop going and stop buying things. But people kind of still fall into the trap of wanting, like, a day out. And I don't blame anybody, but yeah. the only way you would ever send a message to them is to not go to the stadium. And I think... Part of that, too, and I'm, I'm just kind of thinking this off the top of my head based on what you just said, so I don't know if this is actually the case. Correct me if I'm wrong. But being in the New York market specifically might be an impediment toward the idea that 
the team is so bad that fans are staying away. Because yeah. you look at even the underperforming teams like the Jets or the Knicks, they still draw every single game because there are so many fans of that team in New York City. And even if you piss off 85, 90% of the fan base, that's still a giant population of people who would still say, yeah, I want to go to a game and just have a fun day yeah. at Life look, Stadium. The, the Knicks are terrible, and I'm not even a Knicks fan. But, like, if somebody said – if I was free and somebody was like, I have Knicks tickets for 10 bucks, I would consider it because MSG is a great place to see a game. Mm-hmm. A, this, the, the arena actually draws people to it. World's most famous arena, apparently. It's the best place to see a sporting event. And mm. so, um, yeah, I would go. And I would I would spend $13 on a beer, and I would probably spend another $10 on a hot dog. And then, boom, that's like everybody else is doing that, so they're fine. Yeah. And Charles Dolan, thanks you for your patronage. Oh, man, yeah. Yeah, so on the subject of the Yankee World Series drought, which can we call it a drought at this point? It's, officially? it's officially a drought. It's yeah. officially everybody's freaking out. Double digits. Na- My God. Wailing in the streets, gnashing of back teeth. Don Mattingly. The first decade that they haven't won a World Series in their history, I believe. Yeah, and the first decade they have not been in a World Series since I want to say the 19 teens, I think. Yeah, I think that's the. That, I think that's it. At least they've at least been in a World Series since then, since the 19 teens. Yeah, and uh, my, my favorite factoid, and forgive me for the moment of rubbing this in. Uh, <laughs> how many times have I ever had a chance to do this in my life? If you added together the combined World Series droughts of the Chicago Cubs and the Boston Red Sox, you would not get half of the current New York Yankee World Series drought. Crazy! What a time to be alive. my god so uh the question then uh, that i want to start with uh in this section we're now three years into kind of the latest new york yankee renaissance the the birth of the baby bombers from 2017 the kind of that team that recaptured new york city's imagination and for normal teams after you get a team that kind of takes that next step and then, then then they go three years without winning a championship that's kind of when you as a fan start to worry that, oh, my, is this going to happen? Like for right, right. the Indians teams from the mid-90s or the Tigers teams from the early part of this decade. where they even the, the, sh- the Indians teams from the last couple of years. Yes, exactly. Very yeah. good call. Uh, and where they just keep taking the shot year after year and keep falling short. And uh, so are you getting that sense with Yankee fans that that kind of sentiment could apply to this current team that everybody still likes so much? I think people are worried about I think people are worried about it just because you never know when somebody's going to get somebody's going to get an injury that that derails their career or, or like the the main thing with this Yankee iteration is nobody knows if they're going to get the starting pitching that they had when they won those World Series and right. it's kind of a, a coin toss year it's been a coin toss with the this iteration of the team of if they are going to get good starting pitching and and they have it in stretches and streaks like Pineda looks unhittable Severino looks unhittable mm-hmm. and then they get touched up in big playoff games um which happens I mean you know it's baseball in the playoffs you know guy can have one bad outing it loses the series for you so uh I think people are a little a little unnerved <laughs> by the fact that they've uh, uh, like accumulated all this amount of talent and it hasn't turned into uh, a world series win which is us being very spoiled too of course but I mean understand 
Right. The Yankees have played great base. Like they've played fun baseball the last three seasons. They've yeah. been in the playoffs. They've been in the hunt. The Astros are a buzzsaw. They they just mm-hmm. they just have the moment right now. But the one thing I will say is that it was very fun for everybody to be rooting against the Yankees, only to realize the Astros were the true <laughs> villains all along. Yes. Yeah. Pull off the masks, and it turns out yes, Houston was was the uh, the the true heels of Major yeah. League Baseball. I mean more deeply than I could have even imagined between the assistant GM and the sign stealing. I was oh, like, God. this, these are your Kings. This yeah. is who you wanted to beat my Yankees <laughs> just out of spite. You monsters. Yeah. If you want to just walk around like the every, every baseball fan and just go, I told you so. Ah, uh, it was like weirdly, it was a really fun thing to have over people. Yeah. Do you, do you think that this is kind of at least going to give something of a face turn for the Yankees the next time, say they face the Astros in the championship series again next year? I think the Astros are baseball's number one villain next year. Yeah, the Astros are kind of the Patriots now. They yeah. they were they were the darlings for a couple seasons. Mm-hmm. And uh and now I like I think that they are gonna have a tough time on the road. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely and especially especially for teams that they've beaten in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, and so um do, do you feel that um do you feel robbed, I guess, is is the next question that, that I have for that, uh, based on the fact that 2017, the Yankees took the Astros at seven games, lost the last game in Minute Maid Park. This year, um, a little more decisively Houston this yeah. one decided in six. But again, still, huge home field advantage where Houston wins game two and then the decisive walk-off in game six. Yeah, I... I just think I don't know that I feel robbed. That I mean, I would have liked that series to go seven, just because like anything can happen. And I think, I think it was still a stretch to think that the Yankees were going to beat that team. Yeah, They're, they are uniquely equipped to destroy what the Yankees do well. And right. when the good Yankees teams have lost, it's because they're facing a team that just takes away all their best assets. And yeah. again, the Yankees' lack of pitching came back to bite them. Yeah, so, and especially yeah. starting matching up against Houston, I think. Yeah, oh, yeah, big time. And, I, and look, I, I think when the Yankees took uh, uh, game one in in Houston, I was like, that's exactly what they need, and I thought this was going to go seven again. But, uh, you know, I don't feel robbed. I, I would have liked the Yankees to, to have a more timely hitting, but that's the playoffs. What are you going to do? Yeah, that happens in a playoff series, that sometimes your guys just happen to go cold at the very wrong time. Uh, yeah, and game one, it was not just taking it. It was dominating Houston. Too. Yeah, they, cru- they crushed I, I would have felt more robbed this season if I were a Dodgers fan, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Dodgers rolled over and died. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, and then the worst, most like soul-ripping way, too, where, yeah. again, the guy that you've hitched your wagon to, your superstar for so many years, has, uh, has that opportunity to... to pitch them to the next level and it, it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, speaking of teams where you're, 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 you can hear your window slamming shut. I mean, I think that's maybe the last, this was maybe the last real shot they're going to have at a world series. I'm not sure. It's because they're, they're still a real deep organization. The, the, yeah. The Dodgers, uh, are really good at kind of similar to Houston, actually, that they just have, this constant pipeline of guys that doesn't seem to take a step back, even when they have all these years of low drafts because of how good they are at the major league level. They still 
managed to promote a whole bunch of guys in midseason that that uh, you look at and go, this guy can play in the big. Right, you're right. Yeah, it's true. They do. They do have a great, amazing ability to plug and play guys. Yeah, uh, like they'll find a Walker Bueller, for instance, or this year Dustin May is going to be the guy that apparently is going to try to take the next step next year. Yeah, uh, I feel bad for Clayton Kershaw. He shouldn't have even been in that. Yeah, like but, as soon as he got out of the seventh inning, like at, at that point, especially with Ken- Kenley Jansen, who yeah. even in kind of a down year is still goddamn Kenley Jansen. Right, right, right. At that point, you should realize, okay, you've taken it to the point where you can ride him for two innings. And yeah, yeah let's, let's try to finish this off. Right. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, it feels like the Dodgers keep trying to give Clay or give Kershaw that one serious postseason moment where you can look at it. Everybody can look at it and go, yep, that is the day where he stepped up for all time. And they don't recognize when he's given them a good postseason moment and enough, uh, know enough to just leave well enough alone. With I him. know, I know. It's such a bummer for him because he's yeah. he's going to carry around this it albatross. Sucks. That's it really not, sucks for someone who is yeah. who is historically great like that. And playoff moment, like like we were saying, like baseball playoffs are just it's a it's such a roll of the dice, man. Yeah. Baseball's uh, played over 162 games, and then all of a sudden you've got like five-game series. It's like anything can happen. But yeah, uh, everybody's so focused time. on championships, it's like... Right. Well, I mean, I mean, that's the Steinbrenner mentality that right. takes over the game, is that, yeah, if you did not win the World Series, you're a failure, Oof. which is kind of hard to do when you have 29 other teams to compete against. Uh, and especially in this era of baseball where you have a good four or five legit super teams that you got to beat in order to win a world series that. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I think it's pervasing pervading all of the sports where nobody yeah. can enjoy a regular season anymore. Nobody can enjoy an amazing performance by a guy if it doesn't end in a championship. And I, I think it's, it's like draining a little of the joy out of sports sometimes in the, during, in the discussion of sports. Yeah. You see it in a lot. And actually a lot of cub fans here that, uh, so many people get so mad now when they, I mean, they collapsed at the end of this year. It was not fun. It sucked to go through. Right. Uh, but you have a fair number of people who react to it as if it's still, you know, 1988. And, right. You know, 90 years into the World Series drought as opposed to three. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. People quickly start to want more. Yeah. And, and I understand to some extent, you know, if you always want more because if the the season you're watching is not the most important season. Then why are we watching it? But, but, but that's, I mean, that's, I mean, that's how people get depressed in their lives. Right. You still have to keep it in perspective. And especially, especially as a Cub fan realize we are so in the goddamn bonus round at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But also like, I don't know, it doesn't take away the moment you're at a game and somebody hit a walk off home run and you were yeah. there and spilled your beer on yourself or hell yeah. I mean, like, I think like there still needs to be an appreciation for the moments. It's like, you can say, why did we watch it? But then it's like, all right, then why are we, why are we wasting our times watching movies? You know, it's like, it's yeah. the road to nowhere, basically. It's, it's all meaningless essentially. So right. yeah, it's up to you right. to find how this connects to your sense of fun. Right. Maybe it's just my perspective as a Jets fan, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> trying to enjoy things uh, that aren't uh, meaningful to the overall uh, yeah. end product. I mean, yeah, some of my very favorite Cubs games of all time have been great games that were in years where they did nothing. You know, fourth, fourth place years where sure. I happened to see Ryan Sandberg tie the game up in the seventh and Sammy Sosa walk off the Pirates in like yeah. 92, for instance. 
And that's still a scorecard I pull out every now and again and look at and go, yeah, that is one of my all-time favorites and one of yeah. my, my all-time great moments at Wrigley because I remember that feeling of leaving the park and just the euphoria that you walk out on. And, and that, to me, is, is honestly why we still watch. Right. That's what sports is about. Yeah. Uh, so back to the complaining for a second. Uh, yes. I want to touch, back, uh, touch base back on uh, what you've t- hit on a couple times in terms of the Yankees' decision in terms of building their pitching staff. So I want to ask you directly. Do you feel that the choice that they made back in probably 2016 or 17 at this point, where they went with creating a super bullpen over a deep and talented rotation, do you think that that ultimately is going to end up biting them in the ass by the time we look back on this era there of Yankee baseball? I feel like probably, yeah. I, In theory, I think it worked. And in early in this, like, when Batances first came on the scene, it felt like they had, you know, a lightning rod. They caught lightning in a bottle with this guy. Um, but the problem with middle relievers, especially to me, is that they just go through their stretches. Yes. And, and it's so much more frustrating to to blow games in the sixth and seventh inning than it is to struggle to win. Like, if you're if you're giving up a lot of runs and – the Yankees can compete with giving up a lot of runs because their team is built like that. But like watching Batanza struggle or Chapman struggle and blowing games in the sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth inning is like, especially in the playoffs, is brutal. Oh, it is always the most crushing. And you can never plan for good middle relievers. No, no matter what their record says, no matter how many years of success they had. And I say this as a fan of a team that signed Craig Kimbrell in midseason this year and thought, <laughs> oh, boy, yeah, here we go. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there they went. Uh, but that's the thing is, is uh, yeah, you can sometimes think that, OK, this is probably going to work out, but there is no certainty with middle relievers. Yeah. And the thing about uh, about choosing bullpen over starting rotation, and I understand why they did it, too, after you see how it affected games for the Royals and for the Indians back to back World Series years. Yeah. You, right. you look at that and go, of course, I want that. Right. But the thing is. If you build a deep rotation, that is always more valuable to a team than building a deep bullpen. I agree. I agree. And you can you can always like I feel like every postseason there's like a middle reliever who plays above his pay grade, like yeah. plays really well. And there's something about being a middle to late inning reliever that once you catch the bug in the playoffs, like it starts, like you can see, yeah. they can't get over it. And oh yeah, like, I feel like and starting pitchers can put that team. stuff behind them. Like yeah. a bad start, they can put behind. Like a bad start in game one, they can put behind them by game four. You know what I mean? John Lester's um, great. Yeah, and I feel like a middle reliever just gets that. You know, sometimes you see a middle reliever come in, and you see it on their face that they're like terrified again, and you're like, oh, here we go. Yeah, I'm gonna throw out the two words that you know, that come right to mind immediately: Adam Ottavino this year. What that <laughs> yeah. guy? Right. Yes, he was. And he was yeah. such an important part of Aaron Boone's game planning for so many of those games. And you saw that when it was clear that you cannot trust him at this point, things really went awry real fast. For right. And then you're, you feel out. stuck in it and you want to believe in your guy and you want to call on him because you don't want to ruin him for even next season, you know. Right. But it was just every time he came out, this I was like, <laughs> it was like, you know, white knuckling it. Yeah, and I, I don't blame you because, yeah, you could see that that he just – it was his week to have that thing that happens to middle relievers. Uh, but it, 
at least you could count on the, the fans at Yankee Stadium to stand by and support and say, hey, Adam, we got your back. Don't worry. Yep. Yeah. Your classic Yankee fans. Yeah. Oh, God. That's, uh, at least they weren't chanting Uber at him. Uh, brother. Yeah. That's yeah. uh, Yankee fans. Yeah, you got to live to the stereotype no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, it's there for a reason. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, kind of to uh, transition off that for a second, uh, to uh, to go towards the uh, the offense uh, that the Yankees have assembled yeah. at this point. And, and the most fascinating dynamic that the Yankee offense has right now, and this is something that happens every time that they get two of the biggest stars in the game, yeah. is that uh, you have Aaron Judge, the homegrown true Yankee superstar. And then they thought, okay, what's going to make this attack so much better after 2017? Bring in the biggest power bat in the entire game, Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, like whenever that happens, Yankee fans and especially the New York media tell you that, okay, now it's time to pick sides. And do you want the guy who came up in your system or do you want this carpetbagger? Yeah. Now has to prove his Yankiness. And it always makes things so tough on that other guy that it's the worst. have to be. No, it's the worst. I mean, and especially with the New York media, I mean, they were all about going out and getting him. Yeah. You know, it's It's such a two faced thing. I mean, Florida's having a garage sale as they do, or Miami, whatever they are, Mm -hmm. as they do every four or five years. Anytime they get good. Yeah. Give them two years and then you can get their, your favorite player. And, um, they're begging to go get him. I mean, and then he comes in and they just, they cannot help themselves from that dynamic. And I mean, I mean, it didn't help that he's, he had such a slow start when he got here uh i don't know i don't know why they do it it's so frustrating it's like why can't we just have jordan pippen it's great (laughs) absolutely and the best uh, thing yeah i i i I think it's partly again kind of going back to what we were talking about about at the beginning the this the mystique that the organization tries to create that you have to earn those pinstripes which is something that starts the messaging starts from the broadcasters and filters down through the media and then into the fans and that no matter what you did in Miami or in Texas, it doesn't matter because now you're on the big stage and you have to prove yourself immediately. Yeah. And it's so silly. And, they like they want like a walk off in April. Yeah. That they can to and be like, oh, he's here. It's a meaningless game in April. I mean, let the course. guy play. Let him get just. Let him figure out where he is in the lineup. It's just they just cannot help themselves from like pitting guys against each other or creating stories where they don't need to be created. Yeah. And, and if you look at Giancarlo Stanton's career leading up to the trade with the Yankees, I mean, you knew what you're getting, you're getting unbelievable power, but you're also getting the 150 or more strikeouts every year. And it was like the fans decided, okay, now you're a Yankee. We'll take the power, but you damn well better not be doing those strikeouts that you do every single season of your career. Right. As if a guy has mid mid career changed the way he approaches the plate. I mean, yeah. guys who strike out, strike out. Guys who don't, don't. That's just the way baseball works. Yeah, every, uh, every player has that, that weakness. And for some reason, that weakness is unacceptable if if you suddenly put on the pinstripes. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's because the Yankees assembled, like, I, it, I mean, it is glaring in contrast because so many of the guys right now that they have on their team are kind of money ballers who, like, grind out at bats. And right. Anton is just not that dude. He's going to take big hacks. And it's going to pay off 40 to 50 times a year. Yeah. And that's the way it works. 
And I don't know, like, what you expect a guy to do. He's not going to come in here and be Chuck Knobloch or something. Right, right. And, uh, and, and, of course, last year they were mad because he was injured the entire season because he can affect that somehow. You know that's – I hate that. I yeah, have like a that's joke the about. worst possible timing, unfortunately, for that. But you know that that's going to be held over his head until he has that Jim Carlos Stanton MVP year again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it'll be great when they're like, do the Yankees need judge stories that are coming out? <laughs> That'll be wonderful. Oh, boy, would that be something. uh, (laughs) I mean, he's beloved, so I don't think it would happen. It would really take a lot for fans to turn on Judge because, again, they've decided that he is the true Yankee. Like, he was the one that was – and to be fair, Aaron Judge figured things out at the major league level at a level that was kind of unprecedented for so many guys. Like, at that strikeout rate that he he was at during his first season, people thought that there's no way that he – even hit 200, let alone become an MVP candidate that he became. Uh, it's kind of similar, uh, to, not to keep drawing this back to the Cubs for a second, but Javi Baez had something of a similar trajectory where in his first year in 2014, it was his strikeout rate was, I think, almost 40% of his at-bats ended in strikeouts. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah, I remember him and, having some struggles. Yeah, oh yeah. And you could see the power was there, but we watched him that first year and thought, man, if he doesn't tone the swing down, that he's going to be like a less valuable Sean Dunstan, we thought. Yeah. And uh, it took him a while. He had to spend a lot of 2015 back in the minor leagues. But one of the things that he has learned over the past couple of years, he still strikes out at a prodigious rate. But he occasionally will pull out a B-hack where he'll cut down the swing with two strikes when yeah. he needs to, situation calls for it. And his contact rate is so much better than it's ever been. Uh, because right. he's now able to occasionally Guerrero when he's hot, where he'll swing at pitches Dunk that ball. almost bounce, and you'll still get like a line drive hit out of him. It's it's right. really an amazing transition to watch for him, and I, I give him all the credit in the world. Similar to Judge for just yeah, out that yeah, I've got to improve and work at this, and uh, and they get the reward for that, and that that's great. Um, I I think and I think that they also have in common, which is a good comparison, is that they are both very likable. And yep. uh, the cities have embraced them as personalities uh, mm-hmm. and they like they just genuinely like them as dudes on their team. So that gives you a little leeway when you're trying to get your stuff together. Absolutely. Um, is that, you know, I mean, it's, the Cubs fans love Javi and Yankees fans love Judge. I mean, they're, they're beloved characters. So, yeah, you see them having fun on a baseball field and right. uh, to that end as well. They're also really well-rounded players between judges playing right field with the leaping catches and the rock. And then Javi's nightly El Mago oh, insane yeah. highlight reel. That uh, His highlights are crazy. I think Judge is a severely underrated right fielder. Absolutely, yeah, because the home runs so overshadow the fact that he is probably one of the, uh, outside of Mookie Betts, who's on another level from everybody, He Judge is probably just a, uh, the next level of one of the better right fielders in the game. Yeah. For sure. Uh, but, yeah, that, that comparison that uh, the, the Yankee white hat versus black hat is something that has been a big part of their history for at least the past 50 years. That, yep. And I, I kind of brainstormed it through after I threw that topic out at you this afternoon that obviously Jeter and A-Rod is, is the immediate comp. And we know how long it took A-Rod to, quote unquote, earn the pinstripes in people's minds. And sure. uh, but it goes back before that, you know, uh, Don Mattingly, Dave Winfield. Yeah. You have the beloved farm system product versus the guy that Steinbrenner gave the biggest contract in baseball to and then hired some 
gambling goon to follow him around and dig up dirt to try to void the contract. Yeah, I mean, and then you have you have the classic Mantle and Maris. Yes, yes, it goes back to the '60s, uh, where again was- Mantle, the Golden Boy, the, the 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 one who'd been through the Yankees of the '50s, won so many championships. He was the chosen one. He was the one that should have broken the Babe Ruth record. And here's yeah. Roger Maris coming from Kansas City of all places. It's so weird. It's so weird to be mad at a guy on your team. I yes. think. Yeah. Like, that was the We're most disgusting 61 one. Home runs. Yeah. That's that the most. Bad? That's the most unforgivable one. Like you can see them creating like a little media jazz BS over all these other things. Um, I, you also kind of had Reggie Jackson and Thurman Munson. Did you yes. say that? Yes, yeah, I um, into that because uh, Reggie, yeah, he got booed. Right, and um, you can kind of see them uh, having like creating it, but like the Ma- the Mantle Maris one is unforgivable. Yes, to me. Uh, have you seen uh, you've seen the clips of Roger Maris's 61st home run and the last day of 61 in Yankee Stadium, right? Yeah. Do you ever notice the stands in those old old movie uh, news newsreel clips? Yeah, they are. They are like a game in like mid-May yeah. against the Royals. I think they drew like maybe twenty-five thousand in a stadium that seated eighty for that it's game. Nuts! It's it's it boggles the mind that that That's so many people said you're the villain. Yeah, for for doing this unbelievable feat for the team that I love more than anything, but fuck you for it. And for not seeing Mickey Mantle. Yeah. Right. Right. And. Uh, uh, yeah, that, that set the template. And honestly, uh, you go back even a little bit further, Mantle himself had to kind of deal with that because he was the successor to Joe DiMaggio in the early 50s, who was everybody's golden boy right. and won a championship almost every single year of his career. So that uh, was a hard act for him to follow. But the thing about that is Mantle was a power superstar from the beginning, but he struck out more than most other players of the 1950s ever did. And certainly in comparison to DiMaggio, who would yeah. have years struck out like 25 or 30 times. So people looked at that and thought, there's no way he could live up to Joe D. And right. so for some of his very best years as a Yankee, had to deal with some of that bullshit and people booing oh, him. He hated DiMaggio. Yeah. In, oh, yeah. And understandable. Like scared to even talk to him. But yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess you kind of also have Ruth and Garrick a little bit in, in yeah. that rivalry concept as well. But, uh, but I think Mantle and Maris just set the tone the ugly tone for mm-hmm. what the New York media uh, wanted to do to pit, to pit Yankees against each other, which, I mean, just saying it out loud makes you think how stupid it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But I that's, mean, as you say, it's tradition. So it's almost like the media, it's it's their way of saying, yeah, welcome to town. This is what we do. So get used to it. And if right. you complain, I'll rip you more. Yeah. God forbid you complain. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, so- yeah, so I'm honestly going into next year. I'm I'm rooting like hell for Stanton because I yeah, would love to see him just tell everybody to shove it uh, with his play in the field. Love that as well. I would love for for the papers have to eat it. Yeah. Yes. And then for uh, for freezing cold takes on Twitter to post all their <laughs> all their hateful all their oh, hateful st- anti Stanton yeah. quotes. The perfect time. Yeah. There there was. Uh, back when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016, someone created a Tumblr called Doubting Theo, which was nothing but finding old Twitter takes and old columnist takes from the couple, first couple of years of the rebuild, where everyone thought, oh, man, this is just another typical Cub executive, doesn't want to spend money on anybody, doesn't know what he's doing. And uh, the, yeah, the, it's yeah, cathartic. So perfect. Yeah, 
it was one of the, the best reads in the wake of, of winning in 2016. Yeah, it's so cathartic. So to end on uh, hopefully something of a high note here, uh, and I'm going to give you a challenge, especially given in how we began this episode, uh, give me something redeeming about New Yankee Stadium. Anything at all. Uh, I, the, the redeeming thing about New Yankee Stadium is their garlic fries are delicious. <laughs> uh, they have a lot of local New York beers. And uh, if you can get yourself seated down on the first level, it's pretty good. Yes. Yeah. They, I mean, I will, the expensive I will seats are expensive for a reason. But, uh, and look, if you love feeling like you're in a Soviet-style architecture, then <laughs> you will have a blast there. Uh, which explains why Donald Trump was a fan back in a few yeah. years ago, right? Yep. How exactly. it all ties together. Excellent. Exactly. Yeah. Chris Calagero, this has been a pleasure, man. Thanks, Thanks for joining. Thanks, man. This is great. I'm, I wish it was baseball season now. We're getting close, and honestly, if we keep talking like this, that makes it uh, get feel like it's getting closer to me. So Hell always yeah. a pleasure to talk baseball with you, man. Yo, my pleasure's all mine, Dan. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you.